0: Amen. Good morning, church. Can we clap to King Jesus today? Come on, let's clap to King Jesus today. You guys go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome you, and I hope that you had a happy Thanksgiving weekend. Was it a good one for everybody? Amen? Yeah? Anybody recovering? Recovering from eating, overeating a little bit? You're looking at a guy who had a problem with that. But uh, I am, you know, just so happy that you are here. One of the things that I was thinking about that I am grateful for, that I want you to know this, is I thought about just... Taking a moment to reflect upon things I'm grateful for, it was you. I'm so grateful for you and for your faithfulness and for your love and for just the way that you have uh, have been such an important part of EVC. If you're a guest here, I want you to know that we are thankful for you as well, and we love that you are here with us. You're here with us on a great weekend, and uh, it's just exci- we're excited that you are here, and we hope that you feel welcome and that you feel loved here today. I want to welcome those of you who are online as well. We love you. And uh, you know, as uh, before we get into the message this morning, as I was um, just getting prepared, my heart prepared for the holidays, I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes it can be like this for me. I can uh, begin, when I start, I'm grateful for the holidays, and I love the holiday season, but when I start thinking about it, I can feel for me there's a stress level that starts to amp up automatically within me. I think about all the things that are coming and uh, and I was like, man, where is that coming from? I want to just I want to re- really be happy about the holidays. I don't want to be struggling with it. But here's what I know, this season can begin to produce within us and it's just kind of just part of our culture. There's a chaos in this Christmas season. There's a chaos that happens. There can be discontentment that happens within our hearts as we look around and we think we got to keep up and buy all these certain things. There can be struggles with family that are amplified during this time of year. We love our family, but you know, uh, you're kind of, in many ways, you're forced to be with, (laughs) with some that maybe you might even struggle with. There could be stress that is produced within that. And you can just feel just kind of like the temperature rising within, or at least I can. And I don't know if you're like that. And I was feeling that way, and I was like, Lord, I want to be sure that as we enter into this season, I want to be sure that I don't miss moments with my Savior, because we can get distracted this time of year as well. We get distracted, we, th- we can be, you know, be thinking about, so before you know it, the holiday season, the Christmas season can be past us and we miss some of the most important moments just to choose to be with the Lord in those times. The reason I'm bringing this to you is I want you to know that we're starting a new series next Sunday uh, called Gratitude. And it's a series where here's what we want to lead you to do in this, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, gratitude ultimately boils down to a choice. Wouldn't you agree, right? That we must choose daily To focus in, and we want to lead you to do that in this season, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, what you're struggling with. It could be a good season, could be. We want to lead you intentionally to spend some time every day, not just on Sundays, but every day choosing to be grateful. Choosing to be grateful. And we're going to focus in on some of the songs Some of the first songs of the Christmas season, the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the song of Simeon. We're going to look at each of those in the upcoming weeks, and I'm really excited about that series. And I hope that you will make plans to join us for that series. It's going to start next Sunday. It's a, it's a series on gratitude. And again, I'm grateful for you and grateful you're here today. Today, we are in for a real privilege. Uh, we have uh, someone here with us that I had the opportunity to meet three years ago at a church planter's assessment. Uh, as you know, we're a church planting church, we, we send out and we, we sponsor many churches. Uh, through EVC Gift that many of you give to, makes it possible for us to multiply other churches. We're not trying to be the biggest church around here. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a multiplying church, a sending church, where we not only are sending uh, money to help in those endeavors, but also sending people, because it takes both of those things to develop new churches and so I met Shay and Robin Wood at this church planters assessment a couple of years ago, uh, three years ago. And as I get called to be an assessor for those who feel like they're being called to start new churches, in that process, as I observed them, I could see in that just within moments that 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 they truly were called by God to plant a new church. And I'm excited about Mercy Hill Church. We have been we have been sponsoring them for the last couple of years. You know, it's, it's hard to plant a church. I want you to know that. We planted EVC 23 years ago. It's hard. And I want you to know that new churches like that need support from churches like ours to come around them, not only financially, but to come around them and support them. It's hard to plant a church. It's especially pl- to hard to plant a church coming out of, out of a pandemic or in the middle of a pandemic. And so that is kind of when Shay and Robin uh, felt led to do this. And so they are gathering now, and they are doing essentially what we did when we planted 23 years ago. They are uh, they're in this place of starting in their home, and they will be in Highland Middle School soon. And then they hope to launch publicly at, around Easter. And here's the thing. We enter into this with open hands as a church Uh, We we believe that all of the resources finances as well as you you belong to the lord We want to be a sending church. We're not just trying to hoard and gather people here If you feel led to be a part of this new church plant, we would be excited to send you along with them And so I want to ask you to give a big evc welcome to shay wood this morning He's the lead pastor of mercy hill church and he's gonna come And by the way, one other thing i'd like to do If you are a part of Mercy Hill and that development team right now, would you stand up right now? And we want to just welcome you, too. Let's give them a big hand as well. We're excited to have you guys as uh, they're an important part of our family. And so we love you, brother.
1: All right. Hey, man, I'm so glad to be here. You guys have an incredible church with incredible pastors. I don't know if you knew that. Did you you know that? Did you know that? No? No? There's like three people who are agreeing with me here, Bart, We got issues, man. We gotta we gotta talk this out. You guys really do have an incredible church. I know that because we wouldn't be here today in this journey if it weren't for EVC. We've been so grateful for the partnership, um, and you know. I'd Bart Randy calls us a sister church. Really, you guys are like our mother church. You, you, are, you have sent us. You're supporting us. You, man, we exist because of your faithfulness and your giving and your generosity. You're showing up. You're serving. Everything you do to serve EVC allows EVC to serve us and allows us to serve the community we're trying to reach. So thank you for what you've done. And I'm excited to be here. My name is Shay, as he mentioned. Um, my wife's name is Robin. We've been married for nine years. I'll just show you my family here real quick. Um, We've got Blaze over here on the left side. He's seven now, and he's in first grade. Uh, And we have Colston over here on the right side. He's in kindergarten. He's five. Zade is two and wants to be as big as his big brothers, but he's not. And then um, Kyler there is four months old. And so uh, we're excited uh, about that. What was so cool about our journey so far is is we had Kyler. We didn't notice when we named him that. Sometimes names are cool. And, uh, you know, as, as we're trying to plant a church in COVID, anybody tried to do that before? No, just me. Okay, yeah, you got to be a certain level of crazy, right, to to do that. But we're we're here for it. We're excited. And uh, God's done so much. But what was so cool is we named him Kyler Hayes. And come to find out after we had him and after we named him, um, that Kyler means church and Hayes means a hedge. And so it was just kind of a cool little thing, gift from God to go, man, like we struggled for months trying to come up with a name. and finally landed on something. just like, let's just go with this. And, but then it turned out to be just this incredible reassurance that God is with us and he's walking with us in this journey. And so we're excited, man. I, I cannot tell you how many miracles have taken place over the past couple of years. Um, and, hey, man, if, if we had get to, ever get to have coffee together, we'd love to share some of those stories. But uh, we we're getting, have an incredible team we're building around us. And uh, man, I I could not do it without my wife. Um, She has some sick kiddos at home today because that's what happens at Thanksgiving when you see family. Um, And uh, so unfortunately, she couldn't be here with us. But um, I'm excited to be here to share God's word with you. Um, we, God called us on this journey, and we began this journey a couple of years ago. Uh, January 12th, I was out of a job, and uh, March 12th, I went, whoa, what are we going to do now? Um, and so we've just been figuring it out since then, you know, where are we going to plant a church? What does it look like? We moved up this way. We had, we've had two kids since COVID started, which is really weird. Um, and, uh, you know, when you think about timelines, they just get really wonky when you start talking about 2020 and beyond, right? And, uh, but any, anyways, uh, we're, we're excited about it. God's doing some cool things. Uh, we are building up to serve in Highland Middle School next, next spring. And if God calls you to join us, we'd love to have some people on our launch team. If it's for a season, six months a year, awesome. And we love some help uh, in reaching that community. But more than that today, uh, with the invitation of Bart and your, your pastors, we'd love just to dig into God's word with you and share something that God's put on my heart that hopefully God speaks to you and changes your life, transform you in some way, and reminds you of his grace and his goodness. Can we do that? You ready for it? All right, hey, let's jump in. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I could have preached on a lot of things, thought about preaching on gratitude because it's Thanksgiving and it's easy and I already have a message written. Um, But God didn't put that on my heart. He put something else on my heart. And so I'm excited to share it and start a gratitude series. So it works out. I'm not going to steal his thunder. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. Verses 36 through 41. Man, I love Thanksgiving, I love this time of year, I don't know about you, but I feel like after coming out of Thanksgiving, I need open heart surgery, got a few more pounds on me, a few too many cookies, as much as I said I'm not going to eat too much dessert, okay, I'll try the banana pudding, okay, I'll try the, you know, just had to try it all, right, like just have no self-control, just so you know, Um, but definitely felt like I need open heart surgery after all that, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. What I, I want to talk about this morning is actually a story where somebody performed open-heart surgery on 3,000 people in a single day. Can you believe that? I mean, wouldn't that be pretty incredible if somebody could perform open-heart surgery on 3,000 people in one day? I mean, You've got to have a steady hand for that, right? Like, Don't go to an open-heart surgeon who does not have a steady hand. Not a good idea. But we're going to dive into Acts chapter 2, and we're going to talk about it. And it's Peter, and it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of an analogy here, but really he does. This is what he does with 3,000 people as the church is born. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Acts chapter 2. God, I'm so grateful for the chance to be here, to stand on this stage, and share your word with these people. Don't take that for granted. We don't take the, for granted that we can be here, God, that we're in a growing church, that is reaching people for Christ every single day, that is poised to do great things over the next 10, 20, 50 years, all because of the faithfulness of every person here and every person who's come before. And all all of it, God, goes back to you and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. So we just want to say thank you. This week of Thanksgiving, we want to say thank you. And we want to open our hearts in this moment, God. Would you give us space in our minds and in our hearts to hear your word in a way that changes us, transforms us, reminds us of your goodness and your grace, and rekindles afresh the faith that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And for anyone here who does not know your son, Jesus Christ, and has not placed their faith in him, I pray that today would be the day that they make that decision for the very first time. Would you give me steady hands and boldness as we talk about your word, and I pray that we all walk away to change today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2. So, Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Man, I I could only pray for a day like that with Mercy Hill as we plant. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I could just be like, I'm going to plant a church hey, follow Jesus. Oh, 3,000 people like, oh yeah, yeah, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? And that's basically what happened the day the church was born. Peter preaches as loud as he can. Maybe you've heard stories of George Whitfield or John Wesley preaching into the open air to thousands of people, right? And the way their voice carries. Can you imagine Peter preaching like that on this day? That he's in Jerusalem in the time of a festival at, at Pentecost. And I mean, thousands of people crowding into this city, and he's preaching, open-air preaching, so that 3,000 people or more are able to hear this good news, and 3,000 people say yes. I mean, what an incredible moment. Like, like, so what happened? What happened in this moment to make it possible? And when I study this text, and I look at it, and I think about what was God doing, and what was Peter saying, what, what was transpiring in their hearts and through those words that made this possible? And I see in this text three movements of the heart that God brought about in 3,000 people that day. And I believe that God wants to bring about in your heart today, in my heart today, maybe for the first time, but maybe to bring it back afresh, to bring it back anew, to re-stir your heart for the things of God. And to begin to lean in and listen in to what does God have to say to us. So, three movements of the heart that I see in this. The first is this that we recognize the call of God on our life, and we recognize the call. What is that call? We find it in verse 36, where Peter is summarizing his sermon, everything that came before, where he says, hey, Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. We're speaking in a bunch of different languages with a bunch of different people around the world, where they hear the good news of God in their language. Why is that happening? And Peter's trying to give a defense in some way, an explanation, a clarification of what's going on, because they're all talking in languages of, and it says in just a few verses before, like, man, we are hearing the works of God in our language, Parthians and Medes and Elah and people from Cyprus and Cyrene and, and Arabia and all around the world, people are hearing the word of God in their language in one moment through people who were never trained in that language. And so Peter's got to go, okay, I got to bring some clarity here because everybody's looking at them and saying, man, like, what is God doing? And then there's some people who are looking for a rational explanation. No, nobody's like that, right, in this room. You're never looking for a rational explanation that explains away the craziness of what's happening in a moment, right? Like you watch America's Got Talent, you see the magician up there doing something crazy, like, like, nah, I think I got the trick figured out, right? Like we look for that rational explanation. And so Peter has to say, hey, like, what was their rational explanation? Well, they're drunk. Peter's like, hey, we're at church and it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk, right? You don't get drunk at church at nine in the morning. If you do, that's when probably somebody calls the cops or the security team and they pull you out of service, right? Because, like, that would be a little disruptive. That wouldn't be right, right? Like, so what, what Peter's saying is, like, no, that's not happening. That's not what's going on right now. What is happening? And so he begins to explain himself in this sermon. He begins to share what has God done and what is God doing. And he gets to, to summarize this in verse 36. Where he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Holy cow, man, to be in that moment. 50 days before, people were shouting, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they would hang Jesus on a cross. They would push a crown of thorns over his head. They would whip him till he was almost dead and then make him carry that cross up a hill to the point that they had to have somebody else help him because he couldn't do it. Too weak, too beaten up, too bloodied, too bruised, too broken. And they hung him on a cross and he died. An innocent man who paid for the sins of another. And yet three days later, something miraculous would happen, something that would change the world forever, something that if you have grew up in church, you've heard it before and you hear it again and you hear it all the time and it may even feel old hat at times and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that story. But man, this is the story. All of history hinges on the story that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, he got back up. And Peter, this is the very first sermon he ever, this is the first sermon in recorded history following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it happens on the day that God gives his apostles and his disciples, those who were following him those three and a half years that he was in his ministry on this earth, he gives them the gift of what he calls the Holy Spirit. That is the presence of God with them. And when they receive this gift, they start declaring the good news of God to the whole world around them. And Peter's explaining and he's clarifying and it's in this first sermon that we hear this phrase, that let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God is made in both Lord and Christ this Jesus, whom you crucified. Anybody need some certainty today? I'll tell you what, after 2020, certainty went out the window, right? We thought we were in control. We went, no, nah, we're not in control. We thought we, we knew where our life was going. We went, no, nah, we don't know where our life is going. We thought we knew where our country was headed. We're like, nah, we don't don't know where our country's heading. Like the whole world just seemed to go up in flames all at once, right? Like there's never been an experience in my life and probably possibly yours where the entire world globally shared the same experience. And it wrecked so many things. At the very least, it took away a whole lot of certainty from our lives, didn't it? But here's one thing you can know for certain. That there has never been a moment in time, before then, after then, in the middle of then, that Jesus, that God, lost control. There was never a moment where God stepped away to take a bathroom break and stepped off his throne. It didn't happen. There was never a moment when God was absent and not paying attention. There was never a moment that God was not completely in control, completely sovereign, knowing exactly what was happening. And there's never been a moment when God was not sovereign, when he was not Lord, and you and I can know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He's the leader, he's in charge, he's the boss, he's the big guy, he's, he's, he's the one and he's the promised one. He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the one we've been waiting for. What have you been waiting for in your life? A job, a degree, a relationship, some kind of fulfillment, some satisfaction. Let me tell you, behind that, whatever that longing is, whatever the need, whatever the desire, whatever the achievement that you're going for, behind all of that is a desperate, God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts that only God can fill. And what you really need is not that degree or that job or that relationship or companionship or whatever it is or that experience. What you need and what I need is Jesus Christ. So we got to know the call. We have to know the call of God on our life. We have to recognize the call. Know for certain that Jesus is Lord. He's still Lord today. He's Lord. And I think about, this reminds me of when I was in school. I went to a school called Midland Classical Academy in West Texas. And in the library there, they had this classical painting. And so uh, this, is called, uh, this is called Rembrandt's Raising of the Cross, And so there it is on the screen. It's a little dark because that's how Renaissance paintings were. But here's what's so cool about this, and this always stood out to me, that Rembrandt is right there in the middle of the picture. And he paints himself into the picture, raising up Jesus on the cross. Can you imagine being in Rembrandt's mind and thinking about what he was thinking as he painted that picture? The self-reflection of like, man, I'm the one that put him there. Can you imagine being there when Peter's preaching this message to those Israelites and everybody visiting from around the world and says, hey, you're the one who crucified him. You're the one who crucified an innocent man, but God raised him up. Can you imagine that moment? And when I read this verse, I have to recognize when, when I read in Scripture this Jesus whom you crucified, that that's me, that I'm the you in that story, that it's my sin It's my shortcomings, it's my failures, it's my falling short of God's original plan for my life that put Jesus on the cross. You understand the weight of this moment? I want us to live passionate lives to follow Jesus, but that passion comes from recognizing the grace we've been given, and recognizing that grace comes from recognizing what was really at stake here and how condemned we really were. He says that you, this Jesus whom you crucified, I'm the one, you're the one. We are the ones who put Jesus on that cross. We're the ones who held the hammer and and put in the nail into his hands, into his feet. We're the ones who basically, because of what we decided in life to walk away from God, we are the ones that put him on that cross. Can you imagine how these people responded in the first century when they said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart Cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut by the words somebody else said to you? It's just like, man, like they just, just open, bleed, like open heart bleeding, man, like after whatever they said. Maybe it was something mean or, or hurtful or angry or, or vengeful or spiteful. Like, and, and, man, they just said something and they' like, oh, like, that just cut as deep as it could possibly cut, right? And, and so often when it hurts deepest, it's someone we love most, isn't it? And the relationship we care about, that man, we just got cut. And we're bleeding, and there's nothing we can do about it. I, I got cut on my thumb yesterday, Saturday morning. Um, I, I was pushing down like a goober. I was trying to get you know stuff more into my suitcase than than I really could. And I'm putting my toiletries in there. And as I push it down, it's in a little ziploc bag. I sliced my finger on my safety razor. Let me tell you, not that safe right? I don't know why they call it a safety razor. Those things are dangerous. And I'm like, at an instant, man, blood just going everywhere. It's just gushing. It's pouring out. And I'm like, hey guys, I need a Band-Aid. And I don't know where to get a Band-Aid. And so I like felt like waited for like two hours for a Band-Aid. It was probably 12 seconds, but man, it felt like forever. And, and I finally got it bandaged up, right? And had to put a new one on this morning before I came here. Man, it, it hurts to get cut, right? Like, I and mean, when you get cut like that, there's no going back. You can't just be like, nah, it's no big deal. Like, no, you got to do something about it. You ever had somebody in your life who you respected or you loved who, who meant something to you and the words they said you knew were correct and it was some kind of correction that you probably needed, but wow, man, it, it cut deep. It just, it just got right here. And you just, you know, just that moment where you said, man, that got me. That's what the Israelites are feeling here, the people who heard this sermon they are like man peter that got me that 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 got me right here and so their response is so important to recognize they look at that and they go what do we do they say now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do we got to understand that that um, when 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 we come before god and this is like when we recognize this moment that we have to respond in faith we recognize the call but we respond in faith notice what peter says and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit what just happened like did you catch that i mean how how many Of you would have expected the story to go this way when when they when they when they stand under that condemnation they go man we're the ones who put jesus on the cross he's the reason he he's we're the reason he was there we're the reason he was killed now god has raised him up now understand when god raised jesus up after three days he didn't just bring him back to life he ascended to the right hand of god he's in control now he's in charge he's been given the name above every name he, he is the one who, like, man, he has been totally vindicated. He's been totally raised up. He's totally ascended to the right hand of God. He's God's son. God in the flesh. Raised up to God's right hand. He's God's right hand man. He's sovereign. He's in control. And these men are standing there saying, we put him on the cross? We're dead. We're doomed. There's no way out of this. And that's why they asked that question, right? Like, Peter, what do we do? Because if If I'm following the logic, the next step from here is that I'm in trouble, right? This isn't going to go well for me. And do you hear what Peter's response is? He doesn't say, well, you know, you're going to have to work really hard to get your life together. It's not what he says, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, if you'll just apologize, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, you know, you're just going to have to get to the end of your life and hope the good really outweighed the bad. And you did something really bad. So, you know, that's good luck. It's not what he said, is it? What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Hey, you killed him, you put him on the cross. What do we do? Repent, he'll forgive you. That easy? Like, is that all it takes? And yet that's what I read in scripture. That is the gift of God here. Like they just committed one of the greatest atrocities ever by killing God's son. It doesn't get worse than that, right? Like think of whatever crime you wanna think of, killing God's son tops it. And they get to this point and he says, you can be forgiven and God has a gift for you. How does that work? And if I could do anything for us this morning, I know that perhaps some of you've heard this story before. And maybe you've followed Jesus for your life or for a season. Maybe you've known him for years. Maybe it's been two days, I don't know. But if I could do anything, because I'm a church planner, this is what we do. If I could just ignite a little bit of faith in your heart and reawaken you to say, man, what God did for me is amazing. It's amazing. And I don't wanna forget that. I don't wanna lose that, because when I lose that, I lose passion. When I lose that, I lose clarity. When I lose that, I lose my way. When I lose that, I turn inward and I get selfish. When I lose that clarity of what God did for me, my relationships get harder. Life gets harder. The next step gets harder. I forget why I'm waking up in the morning, why I even get out of bed. But this reminds me that God's grace is so big and it's so good that it is for me. And it's available, and he gave it to me even though I was a sinner, even though I was an enemy of the cross, even though I was the one who walked away from God and said, I don't want anything to do with you right now. Maybe for a moment, or a day, or a week, or a season, or maybe for you it's been a lifetime of walking away from God saying, I want nothing to do with you. And yet God is standing there saying, hey, I understand that, but guess what? I still love you. I still love you. Because you're my kid. I created you. My DNA is in you. I created you in my image. And there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can say, there's no attitude you can have, there's no hatefulness in your heart that will keep me from loving you right where you are. And that's the incredible news that Peter gives them on this day, so that they could respond in faith. They don't respond in working harder. And trying to be better. No, they respond in faith saying, God, we've done too much. We've gone too far. The only way back is if you make a way. And Peter said he's made a way. It's in Jesus Christ. This is The decision I made when I was six years old to follow Jesus with my life. I was baptized at seven. Did exactly what he said here. And then there's been a million more times since then when I've walked away from God. For a moment, a day, a season. And yet God is so good that he's brought me back every time. What about you? Where are you with him today? Is your faith on fire for God or are you, is it just kind of some smoldering embers? And if I could do anything for you, I got one shot. If I could just reignite some level of faith in you to say, Man, I want to say yes to what God has for me. I want to say yes to the bigger story he has me in. Then that's what I want you to do today is to respond in faith. How do we do that? Verses 37 and 38. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this incredible? Like what does he say? Repent, be baptized. In the name of Jesus. Now you gotta understand, when you and I hear the word repent, there's a lot of things that come to our mind, isn't it? Maybe it's protesters with picket signs. Repent, right? Or you're gonna burn, right? Like we think of, we have that picture in our mind. Or, or, the, or the, the fire and brimstone preacher that's just like flinging spit four rows back into the church, right? Like we have these images in our mind when we hear this word repent and we just kinda like, you know, I don't know about that. But oh my goodness, repentance is so much more than somebody else telling you how to live your life. Repentance is so much more than just remorse and feeling sorry about what you've done or how you've been. Oh my goodness, it's so much more than that. Repentance, God had so much more in mind. What the word literally means is a change of direction. That you were doing a 180 with your life. Not to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, I don't even know what that means. How do you even do that? is not about figuring stuff out on your own, no, it's about turning away from this mistake and turning towards God. Turning away from self-reliance, turning towards God. Turning away from the idols in my heart and life, turning towards God. Repentance is about turning it around towards God, towards a person, towards Jesus Christ and what he's done for you to say, I'm going to receive that gift in faith. Acts 26 20 says this, that Paul's Talking about his whole ministry, he's defending himself. He's saying, hey, this is all I've been doing. I just tell people, repent and turn to God. Performing deeds in keeping with your repentance. Now notice how those deeds come out. Like, he doesn't start behaving the right way and hope God accepts him. No, out of a repentant heart, we begin to change the way we live our life. Why? Because we want to live out the repentance that we're showing, that we want to live repentant lives. We want to keep turning back to God. Every single time we get distracted by something in this world, we turn back to God and say, God, I got to give that back to you. And God is so good, and He's so patient, and He's so gracious that He lets us do it. He lets us come back time and again, because He's that amazing. It's about turning back to God. Luke 24 47, Jesus says the same thing. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is our job. This is my job as we plant a church. This is what we have to do. This is my command, this is my commission. That I go and I preach the good news that Jesus can save you, he can transform your life, you can respond in faith, and then we'll help you live that out. That's what we do, right? And that's what you get to do every single day in your life as well. It's not just about pouring into your 401k and buying a boat that you can drive out on Eagle Mountain Lake. It's about so much more than that, right? Like God has so much more for you and for me. We get to live in a bigger story that he gets to tell through our lives. The fact is that we've all lived godless and sin-filled lives. We have. I'm not saying that to judge you would be mean. I'm saying that because I know it's true of me. And I've seen some of your social media posts, right? And it's true of you too. <laughs> We've lived godless and sin-filled lives. And Jesus is the only one who ever lived a God-filled and sinless life. And he did it for you. He did it for me so that he could overcome the obstacle we could not and reconcile us to God. And I just have to think that in a room this size, and with anybody watching online, that there's at least one person who you're struggling with all of this idea, not because of what I'm talking about this morning, but just because you've got some church hurt in the past. You've got some baggage you are carrying that comes from your experience with church or religion, and I get that. And you have questions, you've got doubts, you've got concerns. And, and I, I, I would say that your questions, your doubts, your concerns are very valid. I'm, I have no doubt they're probably really valid. But notice what God says in this text. He never says to put our faith in the church. He says to put our faith in Jesus Christ, because He's the only one who will never let you down. He's the only one who's always got your back, even when we're faithless. Tim, uh, Paul says to Timothy, He is faithful. He is always with us. He's always behind us. He has never let us down. He has never overpromised and undelivered. He just hasn't done it. And so we, we, we recognize the call of God in our life, that he, Jesus is Lord. He's king now. He's in charge. I'm not. We respond in faith, and we repent of our old way of life, and we say yes to his new way of life. And we are baptized into his name. And then we receive the gift. That gift is the forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible that God is offering that gift to you and to me? I hope that's not lost on you. I hope you don't forget that. I hope that never gets old for you because as soon as God's forgiveness gets old, my goodness, what has happened? right? And how can we ever be used by God when we forget how he forgave us? We can't. We have to remember. We always have to go back. We always have to turn back to what God did for us in Jesus Christ. And like I said, God's never overpromised and Under delivered, he hasn't done it. He's faithful. He's a good God. Now, when you and I experience life, and we say our prayers to God, and you ever been there when it feels like, man, my prayers just don't ever get to the ceiling, get through the ceiling. They never reach him. Like he doesn't seem to give me an answer. You ever been there when it's like, man, like I never knew this much brokenness could be possible in my life. I never knew things could get this bad, this screwed up, this this hurtful, or, or this, this just bad. It, it could be anything, right? Have ever been there? We're just like, man, is God even here? Does he even care? Does he even love me? Does he, does he even hear my prayers? I'm crying out, and I don't seem to get anything back. And I just have to say that, that God will always, always, always keep his promises. If God has not answered our prayer, then perhaps he's wanting to change something in us as we pray that prayer. If if God has, has not answered us in a way that we feel like, man, we got exactly what we wanted, maybe we want the wrong thing. And God's wanting to change something in us. Here's the deal. God will let you down in your expectations of him, but he will never let you down in his promises to you. He's never broken a promise. So what happens when you and I expect something of God and God isn't delivering? Does God change? No. We change our expectations to align with his will and his purpose. So we receive the gift, but receiving that gift means that we trust that he knows best. We trust that he's in control. He's never overpromised and underdelivered. So when you think about your life, again, if I could do anything, if I could leave you with anything today, it's that your faith is worth investing in. It's, it's that that your relationship with God is the most important thing about you. Not your career, not your marriage, not the, what your relationship with your kids, not your retirement in, account. like none of that compares to how significant your relationship with God is in your life. It's what determines everything else. So remember that God's never overpromised and underdelivered. You have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You have freedom in Christ. He gives you peace of mind in your life as you live day by day. He gives you a new heart. God's word says he takes out the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. But I want us to understand that God has made promises to us and he's never gone back on those promises. In verse 38, he says this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, that's just God's presence with us. He walks with us every single day. He empowers us. He gives us strength. He gives us, he renews our mind and the way we think. He, he's the one who transforms us from the inside out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does as he walks with us. And he's a gift. Now, I gotta be honest. Too many times in my life, I look at the Holy Spirit like he's on loan. Like God is just holding it over me and as soon as I do something wrong or say the wrong thing or if I don't end the prayer the right way, right, if I don't fold my hands right and bow my knees right and say the right words and if I don't end it in in Jesus' name, amen, that God's not going to hear my prayer and he's going to take back the spirit he gave me and the gifts that he's given me. But let me tell you something, God's Holy Spirit is not on loan. He's a gift. Gifts don't get given back. You get to keep it. It's yours. God's presence is yours for the rest of your life if you'll just say yes, if you'll just come to him, if you'll just say, God, I want to walk with you every single day. And again, we we get distracted by life, but guess what? That promise is still ours. That gift is still ours, and we can go back to it. We can repent. We can turn back to God. Verse 39, he says this. This is probably my favorite verse in this passage. For the promise is for you. And for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everybody, look at your neighbor and say, The promise is for you. You gotta wake up a little bit more than that. You gotta help me out. Look at your neighbor and say, The promise is for you. Guess what? It's for your kids too, and it's for their kids, and their kids. And and it's, and it's for the world around us. It's for those who aren't just here in this room. It's for those who are far off. That's those who aren't here. The gift is for them. The promise is for them. The promise is for you. Here's three things I notice about this. Number one, God's promise is personal. It's personal. It's for you. You can say yes to God right now. Well, but I feel shame because what I did this weekend, man, I can't even talk about it in church. Doesn't matter. God's promise, his gift is yours right now if you'll just take it. You'll just say yes to him. Well, you know, I've been hurt too much and there's just too much going on in my life and, you know, I'm just busy right now. Maybe one day I'll get around to this Jesus thing. Man, faith is not a pastime. Baseball is a great pastime. It's an American pastime, right? Faith is not a pastime for us. Faith is always for the present moment. It's for right now. God says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come back to him. And if I could do anything for you today, I got one shot is just to remind you that today is the day that you get to live for God, that you get to choose who you will serve. Just like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you make that decision today? Would you, would you put it in stone? Would you stand on it? Would you make it a part of your daily ritual and daily life to say, today I'm going to live for him with everything I've got. I'm going to stop navel-gazing about how bad my life is and all the problems I have going on, I'm going to start looking up to the God who wants to walk with me through it all. He'll go to hell and back for me, and how could I not have hope in him? The promise is personal. It's personal. Take hold of it. And the second thing I notice is that it's generational. It's for your kids and their kids and their kids. God's promises do not have an expiration date. Man, isn't that good news? i got to throw away some milk this week because that expiration date's coming up. And you know what happens when you drink milk after the expiration date, right? It's all curdled and nasty. God's promises never expire. They're always as good and as sweet as the day he made the promise. And it's for you, and it's for your kids, and it's for those you love. It's for your coworkers and your friends. It's for the cashier at Walmart when you don't do self-checkout. The one they have working, right? <laughs> God's promise is generational. Not only that, God's promise is global. It's global. We have a mission to complete. We have something. This is the vision of Mercy Hill. We wanna see Jesus in every heart and home. That's what we wanna do. That's why we. Uh, for me, that's a vision worth pursuing that we could just see Jesus in every heart and home. We're going to start right here in Saginaw. We want to see that take place, that every single home, when when I go home and I look at the house to my left and to my right, I'm asking the question, how do I get Jesus in that home? How do I get Jesus in their hearts? And this is a good exercise for you too. When you get home today from church, would you look at the house to your left and to your right and say, I may or may not know my neighbor's names, but how do I get Jesus in their home? And let me tell you something, that changes the way you view your life. It gives you a purpose and a clarity that all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I got work to do, right? I got to bake some cookies, take them next door. Got to start somewhere, man. That's a great place to start. Start with cookies any day. That's a great place to start. That will always lead you to Jesus when you start with cookies. <laughs> Look at that house to your left and to your right, man. And How do I get Jesus in there? How do I share some good news with these people? How do I walk with them and throw something they're going through? How do, I just, how do I just be on mission for God wherever I'm at? It's global. God's promises for all people for all time all people, for all time. We want to see Jesus in every heart and home. That's what we're doing. What are you doing? What are you going to do? The goal was never just a church on every corner. Man, I hear people ask me that all the time. Well, why are you planting a church from DFW? There's a church on every corner. That was never the goal. That was never the goal, right? Like I understand DFW is known as like mega church central in America. I get it. Well, let me tell you something. 75% of Fort Worth and DFW doesn't go to church anywhere on a Sunday morning. It is true. And I'm not judging them for it. I'm saying we got work to do. I'm saying we got to go help them. We got good news for them. Man, if they they just knew the good news, the heart behind our church is in John chapter four, when God looks at the woman at the well and his words, you're never going to forget these words. He says, if you only knew the gift of God for you. What if you and I approach the people in our life with that attitude every single day? That when I look at you, and I look at you, and you look at me, and you look at the people around you, if the attitude and posture of our heart was, if you only knew the gift God has for you, forget all this church hurt stuff, forget all this deconstruction of my faith stuff, forget all this the world's going to hell in a handbasket stuff, and we don't know where our country's going, we don't know about our politics, and we don't know about this and that, forget about all that. If you only knew the gift God has for you, then that would be the capital in your life, and everything else is lowercase. Let's just start there. That's our common ground, and that's our common ground with other people who don't think like us, look like us, act like us, behave like us, reason like us, smell like us, dress like us. Let's start there. Let's start with that common ground because the goal is Jesus in every heart, and we're not going to stop until that's done. That's what God wants. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have life in him. So you you and I don't need another text right off on another church building. That's not why we're planting Mercy Hill. We're planting Mercy Hill because you and I need the good news of God. What I know about this, because it's personal, but it's also generational, and it's global, is that my faith isn't just about me. It's never just about you. It starts with you, but it doesn't end with you. And here's how we say to our team at Mercy Hill, the gospel is for you. It's not about you. God's promise is for you. It's for you. It's for your kids and their kids. It's for the world. It's for the entire world for all of time. God's promises don't expire. They're for you, but they're not about you. They're about him. They're about King Jesus. Jesus. It's about reorienting our lives to follow him. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel's for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And as we follow Jesus resolutely and share Jesus faithfully, God uses us to draw others to himself. Notice this in verse 47. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, they added. Why? Not because of Peter's sermon now. No, because of the verses that happened just before it, because of the way the church lived and the way the church acted in the world around them, that they were on mission and they lived a different life. And, and so what we see is that a change of heart led to a change of lifestyle. We read this in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved God added to their number he grew his church but how did he do it he did it through people who were living a different life notice their life didn't change they still had the same jobs Rome was still in control they were still slaves to another country they didn't get their cancer cured they didn't get the in, the raise at work that they wanted God didn't sort out all the stuff in their life but what did change Jesus is king and that changes everything. So notice that they, they didn't just have a change of heart and a change of, 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 of belief, but they had a change of lifestyle because they got to live from a place of having nothing to hide, nothing to hold on to, and nothing to defend because Jesus had, had fulfilled it all. He'd done it all. Now we're forgiven, we're filled with joy, we're expected that God will move in our lives. We're excited, bewildered in awe that, that we get to be part of something so much greater than ourselves and this is what I love about church planting because just like them, they got to see the church born from the ground up. Can you, be, uh, can you imagine being there on day one when Peter preached the sermon and 3,000 were added to that number that day and all of a sudden you've got 3,000 people living a completely different life than they lived before. So, that, so much so that it's changing the world around them. And this is my dream, this is my hope as we plant a church. Is that there will be another place like EVC where we can see lives changed and people begin to live a different life because of the goodness of God for them. They lived as if God was right there with them. Let me ask you, what would it look like in your life if you began to live as if God was right here with you? They really believe that the promise is for me. So, What would it change for you to live as if God was always present with you? Because he is. Most of us hear that phrase and it's like, you know, be careful, God's watching, right? And what what does that mean? I mean, stop stop misbehaving, don't screw up. But what if we viewed it in the other way, that God's presence really is with us? Not to just correct us. I'm sure that's part of it but to empower us and to give us life and to give us happiness and peace and to give us purpose and clarity and to help us walk through each moment knowing why we're here on this earth. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of God's presence with you. So what would it look like to realign your priorities according to God's purpose for you? I can't help but think that it looks a whole lot like repentance. A change of mind, change of heart, A change of direction. Trust in God with everything in us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to speak today and to be here, um, to be a guest in in this house. And I pray that in some measure and in some way, God, you would awaken our hearts to what you want to do in each of us, that you would speak to us right where we are. God, whatever's going on in each of our lives, and that you would show us what it looks like to follow you in this next moment. What you would show us what our next step is, God. For somebody in this room or watching online, maybe it's to trust you for the very first time. I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to make that leap of faith, to decide to trust in Christ, to declare that he is Lord, to give up control, and to open their hands and their hearts to you and say, God, I've done it my way long enough, and it's not working. Let me try it your way. God, I pray you'd give them the boldness to make that step and to talk to somebody before they leave today. For some of us, it's to be baptized, and that is the next step. We we've, we've put our faith in Christ, but we've not, we've not gone public with that faith, God, and we've not recognized that faith isn't just private. It's not just about us. But, God, if we're part of something bigger, would you help them to take that step? And for some of us who, who we've done both of those things, God, maybe today it's about being sent being sent to serve on a team, on the worship team or tech team or uh, maybe to be a greeter at EVC or serving kids, whatever that looks like, God. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip this year or to maybe even join the launch team or core team at Mercy Hill. And God, whatever that looks like, would you send us to be on mission for you? We've got too much good news to keep to ourselves. We love you. We ask you for the courage and the strength to live for you in this crazy world. And we can bring hope where there isn't any. We can bring life to people who need it. We can bring a smile to make someone's day. And we can do it all in the name of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.